I'm having an interesting condition with this hand, with my right hand. Uh, on my right hand, I have numbness in this finger. So when I touch it, it feels like, you know when you have a Band-Aid on your finger? You can feel it when you touch the top of the Band-Aid, but it feels somehow distant from the skin. That's literally how it feels when I touch this finger right here. I feel a numbness that I actually don't know how long it's been going for. Because the problem with numbness is that it's not pain. If it was pain, I would have recognized it right away. You know what I'm saying? But numbness is, you know, unless you directly, like, really push that area and then are kind of paying attention, you won't quite notice it. I noticed it about a month ago, and the sensation hasn't gone away. And so consequently, I've had to go to the, the doctor and check it out. And my doctor said that it's a little bit of an interesting area because it doesn't necessarily fall into any one of the nerve groupings. Because my thought was maybe it's some kind of nerve damage. Maybe it is. Truth of the matter is, like I can't be certain exactly what the issue is, but likely it is something related to a bigger problem. Hopefully nothing too big. And so I have a, a nerve scan uh, or test that's going to be conducted at the end of this month. And at that point, you know, I'll see what's what. You know, but that that's, I think, one of the things about this condition is that I just didn't know to feel it. And once I knew to feel it, I started checking around elsewhere. And you know, when I rub across the top of my hand, I feel like like electricity running through this side. It's the most interesting, odd thing, and I'm a bit concerned about it because it's, you know, these kinds of symptoms are probably some uh, related to some bigger issue, but hopefully not much of a really terrible issue. So please do pray for me on that. The original sin that we read about in Scripture is, of course, the, the fall of man. And probably most everybody here is familiar with that original sin and the fall of man, yes? And the original fall of man and what precipitated it was temptation. We can talk about all of the you know, failings of, of hu humanity and mankind or humankind as to why it occurred, but what precipitated it was temptation. And temptation in such a way is the, because it is the original vehicle that Satan uses to stumble men, to stumble humanity. We should be conscious of its presence. Because whatever Satan, Satan used then, he must have used it because it has a certain effectiveness. If you think about temptation, temptation is something that's kind of hard to gauge. Because, you know, at what point is your feeling like you want something? When does that cross over from simple want into the kind of territory of temptation where you should beware? Exactly when does that happen? And let me frame it for you a different way. In our society, we're constantly being sent messages of things that we should want, right? We're constantly being sold on things. The reason I point that out is because that means that we are a society over the ages that have become more and more advertised to through every single one of our senses. No matter what you watch, hear, uh, the experience you have in terms of t taste, touch, and smell, the things that we think about and that occupy our minds all have to do with things that we're tempted by. Let me ask you, 
When you become exposed to something a lot over time, and it's happening everywhere, what happens? You become numb. You become numb to the experience because you're so familiar with it. And that's the danger of numbness. That's the danger of temptation. Is that even when it is doing its work, the targets of temptation won't always notice it. And depending on how widespread temptation is in a person's society and life, all the more so in our world today. We are people in our generation and time who are, who are the most advertised to in every place we look. We are constantly being tempted with different things and we willingly, voluntarily invite that even from the things that we bring out from our own pockets. Is that not true? Everything that we use to entertain ourselves, to communicate with others, everything that we use as some vehicle for our entertainment or for our even enrichment is used as a source of temptation in our world. And the danger becomes, for a people such as us who live in a world where we are so inundated by temptation, where it has become so commonplace, how can you know when you are falling prey to temptation? That's a problem, isn't it? If when you are tempted... You don't realize that you're tempted, and in fact, you can brush it off as normal, as no big deal. Doesn't that make us vulnerable? Doesn't that make you vulnerable? Satan used temptation all the way at the beginning, and man fell. Humanity fell. And when God sent his son into the world to save it, to be its redeemer, to be the path and the road by which we might be saved. Satan went back to a well-worn page that he had used throughout the history of humanity, causing individuals and peoples to stumble and fall. He went back to the page in the T section, looked up temptation, and saw, ah, this is a well-worn, very successful page, something that I've employed successfully, again and again and again against the people of God. And he planned and he purposed to use it again. And so in Luke chapter 4, as we find, is that when Jesus is beginning his ministry, he has been anointed by the Spirit when the Baptist John baptized Jesus in the water to fulfill all righteousness, as Jesus said. When Jesus came up out of the water, the triunity of God was revealed as the Father spoke, as the Spirit came up all upon the Son. And then as we see in our passage in Luke, and we see whenever we see this connection, then Jesus then proceeds from this, and he goes into the wilderness as he is empowered by and anointed by the Holy Spirit for the ministry that lies ahead before him. And this is where Jesus is then confronted by Satan with temptation. Temptation, something that you and I are familiar with, even if maybe we haven't been paying attention. When it says that Jesus knew what it was like to be like man, to be a part of humanity, is that he knew what it was to be tempted, even as we are and have been and will be. But the point is that as he was tempted... He overcame. 
Do you know how you're being tempted? Are you aware of it? What does Jesus' confrontation with Satan and his temptations teach us of how we can overcome temptation? What does Jesus' encounter with Satan teach us about how we can overcome temptations? Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And from this week and over the following two Sundays, I'm going to be doing a series, a mini one, on fighting temptations. And I think this is extremely important for the church today and for you. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Let's stop right there for a second. Jesus has been anointed by the Spirit and He goes into the wilderness as He is prepared to undertake this calling, this responsibility to be humanity's Redeemer, Savior, and Lord. Satan meets Him on those grounds. As Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days, He has not eaten over that time. And Jesus is about to embark on this great mission and Satan looks to meet Him there. What's interesting is it says that Jesus is anointed by the Spirit. Not unlike every Christian who comes to faith in Christ. Amen? We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? I hope so because that's integral to our life in Christ. Our life as Christians. We can often say, oh, well, you know, Jesus is God. And so, you know, there's a big difference between Him and me. True. But what we see here in Scripture is Jesus taking on humanity in the fullness of it. Why? Not just so that he could pay the price on the cross, but also as an example for us of what can be for those who are filled by the Holy Spirit. For those who would come to Christ, those who would be filled and anointed by the Spirit as a result of their trust and faith in Him, He's showing them life that can be victorious. The life that I think often Christians don't believe is possible. But it is. When we come to faith in Christ, we're anointed by the Holy Spirit. And I've had numerous Christians come and tell me, you know, when I came to faith in Christ, I thought life was going to get easier. I thought because everything made sense, I thought it was going to become simpler. Was that your experience? You were filled with the Spirit. So did you feel in many ways supercharged? Did you feel empowered? Absolutely. Did life become somehow magically easier? Did everything become simpler? Was every obstacle taken out of your way so that nothing would be a trial for you? Certainly not. From the moment that the Holy Spirit came upon you, Satan also decided to engage you. How do we know this? Because this is exactly what Satan does with uh, with Jesus. As Jesus is about to embark on his ministry, much like his church, much like his disciples and followers, upon accepting Christ, as upon answering the call of follow me, to follow him, as we are about to embark on this journey, this mission, Satan engages us on that field. But he does so armed with temptation. 
And what we're going to see over the three temptations that Jesus is tried by, is tested by, is with each temptation, he, being Satan, ramps up the nature of the temptation, the kind of draw and power of the temptation. Jesus is hungry. Have you ever seen somebody who has fasted for 40 days? I have. I am not one of those people. (laughs) But I have seen people who've done it. And they are a shell of themselves. And the person that you remember at the start is not the person that you find at the finish. They have lost massive amounts of weight and are so weak that often at that point, some of them can't walk. In order to regain their strength, even their food that they eat has to be a slow ramp up because their digestive system can't take regular food all at once. And in the journey of fasting, if you've ever fasted, there's a whole mental and emotional ordeal. How many of you have fasted before? Yeah. How many of you fasted one day? Two days? Three days? And while you were doing it, you know, you smelled everything. You said your senses got heightened, right? You could hear everything. Every, you know, chip bag being opened. Every rustling of dishes you could hear from a block away. Every meat being grilled. You're like, it's beef. Medium rare. Oh, it's been seasoned with nothing but salt and pepper. The thing about the journey of fasting is that it is an emotional, mental ordeal and one that is fully experienced by the one who is enduring it. Every sense endures it, physically and otherwise. This is Jesus. For anybody who has fasted in this way, you have, at the end of it, gone through this ordeal, and you are literally knocking on death's door. It's at this point. Not at Jesus' physical, emotional, spiritual strongest. Well, we could argue spiritual, but definitely not at his emotional, physical strongest, because he is human after all. That's when Satan comes. He doesn't come when he, you know, Jesus is well fed, when he has slept a lot, when he has, you know, nothing but just wonderful feelings. He comes when Jesus would be at his weakest, most compromised, and most vulnerable. That tells us something about the nature of the way Satan likes to work. And he comes to him. And by the way, and I wish and hope that each of us would pay attention to our own vulnerabilities. Because that does make us pray if we're not careful. Because, you know, if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, you always see it, right? The lion or the, some predator, whenever they're going for they always go for the weakest one. The one that's been somehow, you know, like it ran and it broke a leg or twisted its ankle or whatever. Satan plays on this. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, Command the stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Satan is playing on something that is very basic. The need physically. Hunger. Something, by the way, that Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray. Do you remember what Jesus teaches his disciples to pray at the very beginning? After 
hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, he says, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. So even when we look at how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, easily we can go to the place and go, see? For Christians, food is a necessity. For all people, food is a necessity. And to pray for it is certainly okay. I'm not saying that it's not okay to pray for food or to pray for provision. But there's something about the way that Satan does this for Jesus. When he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. We notice that Jesus actually does multiply food in his ministry. Do you guys recall? Right? Do you recall the circumstances? Thousands had come, and after, you know, some time with Jesus, all the food that they brought ran out, and then his disciples come to him and say, say, Master, everybody ran out of food. What should we do? And of course, the natural thought is, you know, hey, we need to tell these people to go home. Hit the road. Find some place to get food. And of course, Jesus could have easily and readily said that, right? That at their need, just said, hey, you guys knew you guys were running out of food? Hit the road. Get some food for yourself. That's not what Jesus does. It's in the circumstances when they're need. People who came to him seeking to hear his word, his words, seeking to see Jesus, seeking to fellowship with him. People who came for no other reason except Jesus. That was their call. That was their mission. That's why they came. In that circumstance, that is when we see Jesus multiply food. Jesus never multiplies food for who? Himself. You'll search the scriptures. You'll never see any moment in which Jesus says, I'm hungry, food for himself. Doesn't do it. Jesus always does it for the sake of others as it results in and for the glory of God. So Jesus multiplies the bread and he prays to minister to their needs. Why? Because they came seeking Christ. In his Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to all those who came and he says, don't worry about such trivial, meaningless things as food. Right? You guys recall? He says, seek first what? The kingdom and righteousness and all this other stuff will be provided. Temptation. And you know when it crosses over into the stuff where it's maybe something that is harmless enough into something more dangerous is that when it becomes a vehicle simply for your own indulgence, simply for your own need, simply for your own want, it's an issue. Think about this. So many people, when they pray to God, they say, God, would you bless me in my business, in my career ventures? Help me, God. Because I want to really be able to bless you in it. You can tell very quickly whether that's actually true. As people begin to, you know, achieve some level of success, you can start, you can begin to see whether that's actually true. Because when it's actually true, they use that blessing to bless God's kingdom and bless God's church and to, for it to be a vehicle by which 
righteousness occurs. When it's for their own indulgence, when it's temptation, you see people all of a sudden begin to be less faithful, to disappear from their responsibilities, indulge themselves, talk about everything that they want to do. And are those things wrong in themselves? Not necessarily. But the problem is, is when we can't really decipher what our priorities are and we indulge ourselves as if the indulgence is a necessity. Eating is a necessity. Amen? But eating of itself, if we put eating ahead of the will and purpose of God, is not a priority. That's why Jesus says what he says. Verse 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Why would Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone? Because that is not the primary objective. That's why even as Satan is tempting him, Jesus says, you think that this is the number one issue but that I should be preoccupied with? No, not at all. It is the will of the Father. It is the glory of God. If Jesus were to do this in the here and now, at this point in his ministry, you know what he would have been doing? He would have been using his power for self-indulgence. Why does that matter? Because the precedent he would have been setting for himself and for his disciples down the road would have been that very thing. That's the thing about temptation. Have you noticed? Is that temptation on its surface, whenever it's occurring, if we're not paying attention, seems so harmless. Right? Because it is fulfilling some need. I need this. But the thing is, when it is actually indulgence, when it is something that you are doing because you want it, and not because you are going to God in trust and faith, there's a very big difference. If Jesus had so compromised here, let me ask you, in his ministry and life, when then could Jesus have reasoned to himself, hey, I'm within my rights to do this for me. Exactly when? When his disciples abandon him in his hour of greatest need? Couldn't Jesus have said, angels come? Right? And he would have been well within his rights because he's been stabbed in the back by the people who said, I'll go with you to the end. I'll die for you. We think that Bowing down to temptation is no big deal. It's just one occurrence. It's actually a pretty big deal. Because the more we begin to accept temptation and allow sin into our lives and compromise into our lives, we become numb to that fact. So that when time arrives for us to stand up and really be disciples in the way that we often think that it means in big things, in transformative things, in being pillars for the church. We're unable to do that because we've already compromised ourselves to the point where we can't stand to be people who build up others. In Romans, we talked about this, right? Paul talks about this, that we're to build up the weak. Let me ask, how often do you see people in the church building up the weak? I hope a lot. But you know who's not building up the weak? People who are constantly folding to temptation. Because how can you build up the weak when you yourself are among them? That's the thing about temptation. When people pray, Lord, being single is hard. Grant me a relationship that, you know, where I can flourish and honor you in that relationship. They find their own means, you know, whether it is 
God, that person is God-honoring or not. And all of a sudden, the people who were, you know, very involved in building up the church, where do they go? Where do they disappear to? People who said that they were gonna, did they all of a sudden appear and start doing that? No. It becomes the exact opposite. I'm not saying these things, you know, for anybody to feel judged. What I am saying is, this is just a straight-up reality. This is what temptation does. It is so effective that Satan uses it as part of his most efficient playbook throughout Scripture. Search it and you'll see. Jesus does not fold. Jesus does not fail in the face of the temptation. Why? Because he uses God's word, because he knows God's word, and he understands what God's word means. He understands the priorities. And therefore, even though in the moment it means that he needs to endure and it means suffering, and everybody else in the world would say, hey, you're within your rights to do what you're about to do if that means providing for yourself, Jesus doesn't do it. Let me ask you, church. Are you being tempted by Satan? Have you become numb to the temptations of Satan? If you can't figure out how you've been tempted of late, then chances are you've become numb to temptations. If, even when you know what the temptations are, it doesn't bother you, that means you become numb to the temptations. Why? Because it meant, it means that you've already given in to the temptations in the past and probably up till now into the present. Right? And it's impossible for us, I think, as disciples of Christ, not to feel some level of shame when we recognize that that's the case. Amen? So I'm not here to break you down, to beat you down. What I'm here today, as we point at God's Word, is to say, if you've been experiencing temptation and you've allowed it to make you numb, it's time for us, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to say no more, to take stock of what it is you're engaged in in your life and ask the question, am I truly doing the things in my life to honor God, to honor Christ, or is it really about me? Because what I found in life is as human beings, we've become very good at making explanations and excuses for why things are the way they are, right? even when we know that's not how it's supposed to be. So let me invite you. Over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be examining this, but right here and now, today, let me invite you to not go the route of the explanation, the justification. Because what makes temptation such a challenge is that whatever it is, is that it's something we want. Amen? If we didn't want it, it wouldn't be a temptation and Satan wouldn't be using it. The reason it's so effective is because it's something we want. And when it's something we want, we can talk ourselves all kinds of ways into explaining why it's okay. Even when it compromises us in our call, in our ministry in Christ. Even when it numbs us to the Holy Spirit. So I invite you right now to take an opportunity right now today to take stock of where you are. Brothers, sisters, we all fail and stumble. This is not about throwing stones at you and your failings in the midst of your weakness. This is about how we can become strong 
And how we become strong is by repentance and confession, coming right before the Lord and fixing what is broken. Jesus confronted Satan, and he confronted him with the word and will of God. To know the word, to understand the word, and will of God allows us, therefore, to exercise it. If you've been experiencing a lot of buckling into temptation, let me invite you right now to repent of that sin. Confess of that sin. Come and bear your heart before God so that you can become renewed. No excuses, no justifications. Come as you are and lay it bare before God and experience the forgiveness and restoration that He offers and gives.